This is the Cast. Welcome to episode 133. I don't think this will be part one or part two of the Crease Cast. I think it's just going to be one gigantic episode because we have a lot to talk about. There, yeah. there was some news that dropped today. It is uh, Tuesday the 27th at yeah. 5.53 p.m. Pacific time. I have just got home from work. There was no news uh, when I left work. But then How I got day, home. <laughs> My day sucked because it ran really long. But then I got home and there was a lot of news, which kind of overhauled how we were going to approach this episode. Because as you guys know, as our loyal listeners who we appreciate and love more than anything on the planet, not even my wife. Not kidding. I love my wife. Um, We had a lot to cover because we finished our recording for our last episode midway through the first round of the entry draft. And we missed the second day of the draft and the events of Sunday and Monday. So we're doing a lot of catch up. So we weren't really anticipating today or yesterday when it came to the Canucks news cycle. I think a lot of us were pretty reserved and expecting it to be a pretty slow roll for the Canucks, just how the Pedersen and Hughes contracts were taking so long to get done that it just wasn't going to happen. And everything was going to probably take place after the free agency deadline on the 28th, tomorrow, Wednesday, the day with which you are reading this. So all of that changed uh, today and yesterday, mostly today, really. So I think to really just kind of accelerate everything because we don't have a draft panelist. We don't really know anything about the draft picks, so we're not going to waste anyone's time going over, you know, round two to seven for a bunch of guys we have no idea about. We yeah, urge we'll, you get, listen we'll get to, an expert on for them. We'll get an expert on for those people. If they're if they're good. If they suck, we don't care. Um, <laughs> if you're really interested, though, you can check out uh, Loyal Listener and uh, Mustard on Watermelon Aficionado Chris Faber's uh, Canucks Conversation, where he talked to several of the Canucks recently drafted prospects. Really wonderful episode. Lovely to hear a bunch of people talk about it. Uh, I think they had Alexa... Oh, I'm going to pronounce her name wrong. It's like ProTac or something like that, who... Um, basically talked about like all our, like the Swedish elite league or S eight. Yes. We S H L prospects that yeah. they had drafted. Yeah. No longer, um, no longer the, the Swedish elite league. It's just, uh, or it's yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah it's sorry. Swedish it's just, hockey league or whatever. It's but just the Swedish hockey league now. Yeah. So SHL. I urge you to listen to that episode. If you really want some deep, great information on the Canucks draft prospects. So I'm going to quickly summarize them for you and then uh, we'll get into that. So the Canucks picked 41st overall Danila Klimovich. He is a Belarusian who spent most of the year in the Belarus second tier league. He's um, apparently trying to get signed so he can either play in the QMJHL or straight into the AHL for Abbotsford, which apparently he wants to make the Canucks. Like he very yeah, just wants like straight up thinks he can make the Canucks, which, Hey, Hey, power to him. Like if he does, if he can't do it and he goes to the AHL the season, like hell yeah, dude. Uh, I like of, your, I like, the, I like the, your moxie, the, brash, you know? the moxie, yeah. the boldness. Um, yeah. Most of the prospect guys I follow are like, yeah, there's no way he's even ready for the AHL and I'll believe sure. them. But like, Hey, sure. whatever. If the kid the wants to, if the kid wants to come stateside and he has the confidence to do it, power to him, bro. Yeah. That's all, all we know all about him. It. Go for it. So man. that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Third or sorry, not third round because they traded the third round. Uh, they didn't actually pick until the fifth round again. And they took a gold hender, your boy, Ian Clark, Lachlan Irvine, a pure Ian Clark pick. 
Other shout out to David Quadrelli's piece in CanucksArmy.com where he interviewed Ian Clark. I bet you read that. I bet you printed yes, it did. and posted on your walls because it's like I did retweet unreal. it for sure. It for raw, it's a, it's so good. And, and this was I'm before. Sure loved that conversation with him. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. And also shout out to Quads because he actually named the goaltender they picked, Aku Kosken-Kenvuo. <laughs> as one of the guys they could pick up in the fifth or sixth round. So like shout out to quads yeah. for nailing that one. Yeah. Uh, also, we, in have the our, we have our, we have our smart people in this, uh, in this, in, in this market in terms of like prospects and we're pretty, we're pretty blessed we're, we're okay. in terms of the, the prospect coverage we get out here. It's great. Yeah. We've hit our heads a few times. So like, we're not as smart, but you know, we're, we're trying, we're trying for yeah. you guys. Um, yeah. Anyway, also in the I had an animal fall on me recently. It was, it was, it was tough. <laughs> It was literally like out of the Looney Tunes and made like the yeah. I was chasing sound. a bird. I was chasing a bird down a down a dirt a desert road, and then an yeah. ankle just fell on my head. It was it was it was a tough oh go, goodness. tough day, tough Sunday for me. That's why I don't trust birds anymore. Um, yeah. So fifth round, they also took Jonathan Myrenberg, a defenseman, right shot defenseman, which, as I'm sure you guys know, the Canucks really need. Uh, in the sixth round, they took another right shot defenseman in Hugo Gabrielson. They also took. Their only Canadian player in the draft, Connor Lockhart. And then finally, in the seventh round, they traded, or sorry, they didn't trade, but they traded one of their picks to, I think, to move up or to, I don't know, trade it out of the draft entirely because they had two to begin with. And then they went down to one. And they picked Lucas Forcell, who, as far as I know, is like a really high upside pick. Uh, Canucks Conversation guys, they were pretty talking pretty highly about his upside and the fact that he had already played in the the men's league in the Swedish elite league. So that's a, you know, a little promising if you're a Canucks fan, yeah. but aside from the Canucks picks, one of the main talking points of the actual draft itself, uh, unfortunately was right the, after we recorded. literally we finished recording. We are feeling really good about our episode because, you know, we had the Oliver Ekman Larson emergency episode. Then we kind of finished off with everything else. And then shit hit the fan in a very bad way because the Montreal Canadiens closed a very slow and pretty boring draft by selecting Logan Mayu with 31st overall pick. For those that don't know, Logan Mayu was arrested in Sweden where he played last season for uh, engaging in sexual activity with, I don't know, maybe a minor it was a, or whatever. It was a, it was so basically, so just so we don't get sued. Um, <laughs> it was allegedly. Uh, basically. He Actually, was it's not allegedly. With- well, it was he, it was it's not the allegedly so much as it is just making sure we get it right. It was yeah. uh, he was charged in Sweden for uh, sharing around illicit pi- pictures of a girl that he had uh, that he had sexual relations with uh, to teammates taken and stuff without, without her consent. Without her consent. Uh, yeah. Without her consent, he was he was charged, and he has been, and he was he did uh, he did get punished. He got fined, I believe. He got fined, which, yeah. So he, which is the which is like, yeah, he was a because he was a minor. Technically, like it's like the it was only a fine. It wasn't like a jail time type situation. Yeah, but he was he was fully charged and fully and yes, yeah, found right. guilty of what yeah. he did. So and so that. there was a lot of outcry in the scouting community and the draft community because the allegation or the the assault and his crime came to light ahead of the draft and basically what had happened was a lot of teams like the news was you know x number of teams have or declared logan mayu is on their do not draft list uh logan mayu kind of 
put himself forward and basically renounced himself from the draft or recused himself from the draft, which you can't actually do. You yeah. cannot pull your, it's not like the NBA where you can declare for a draft or pull yourself out. You're, mm-hmm. you're in it or not. And I'm eight, sure if this you're will 18 and, ho- and a, if you are 18 and a hockey player, technically you are in the draft as far as I, I believe. You, like, you I don't believe that's have how any out. So yeah, no. even after recusing himself and I mean, as far as we know, the victim herself had said Logan Mayu made like a piss poor effort to try and apologize or atone for his actions. Mm-hmm. And so you can look at his recusement and attempts at wanting to better himself over the next year as maybe hollow or and the fact what that he doesn't you. mention the victim at any point in that doesn't actually apology. apologize to the victim at all in this video where His he recuses himself. Agent, it's kind of agent was talking just, about cancel culture and uh, yes. like basically blaming and making it very clear that the victim like trying to basically push the blame yeah. on the victim for trying to like and saying stuff ruin like oh the victim just wanted ruin his career makes it very clear that uh as far as i can as far as i know uh, that he they do not believe he did anything wrong uh, that's not a what a per, when a person believes they've done something wrong they they're not usually saying stuff like that so yeah. usually take that so, well so after this video came out where he was trying to save face and recuse himself from the draft the habs took a look at the video and said we don't care we think he's worthy of a first round pick a lot of scouts actually said Logan Mayu wouldn't be even taken until like the third or fourth rounds. Like he's not that good, but mm-hmm. the Habs had no pick until I think the fifth round, kind of like the Canucks situation. So they were just like, we'll take him with whatever we got. Fuck the consequences. Fuck our fans. Fuck women in general. We do not care about the victim. We care about our team and on ice impacts only. And then after their pick, which basically I mean, it fucked up the entire draft panel. Like, of like course, you, like they, they, the, the, they NHL, the NHL network panel in general had side panel panelists like that were actual women, people of color that could, you know, maybe broach the topic. But the main panel itself was four guys and the four men in question were just jaws dropped, didn't do, did had have no idea how to even broach the topic of conversation Props to them for actually calling out the Habs on how disgusting the pick was that I can't imagine that was easy to do on the fly because I don't think any of them were expecting this pick to happen at all this draft, let alone in the first round. Yep. After this pick was made. Immediately after. Immediately after. Like this is a 10 minute span to close out the NHL draft. The Chicago Blackhawks made the 32nd pick of the entry draft. And if you do not know, I think we've talked about it several times on this podcast, but the Chicago Blackhawks are in the midst of a giant investigation of a sexual assault cover-up dating back to the 2010 Cup run of the Chicago Blackhawks in which their video coach allegedly forced a player to engage in sexual acts with him on threatening his NHL career. He then moved on from the team and... Was Despite, given was allegedly given a good recommendation by the team to a high school after this happened. The yes. the team covered it up. The team covered up what happened, and then yeah, again gave this good allegedly gave a good recommendation to a high school. That's what's being discussed right now, I believe, in court. Yeah. Um, and uh, oh, and which later uh, led to him being charged in, I believe, in Michigan with yeah. uh, as a registered sex offender, sex offender for, for assault for assaulting a minor. A minor. 
for assaulting yeah. a minor. Uh, and like, there are so many other things we could say about that thing that's going yeah. on. But again, we just yeah. like, there is, and just, then you just have providing context for, for basically, if you don't, if you didn't know what was going on with the Blackhawks, this is the team that followed the Montreal Canadians in this draft, what they're co- currently embroiled in. There's tons of discussion right now with the fact that, you know, this is probably the Stan biggest Bowman. story in hockey. Stan Bowman is involved because this was a, brought to his attention by their director of player personnel at the time, uh, John Vincent, who said this video coach needs to be fired. He needs to be reported to the police and allegedly Stan Bowman and their management staff, which includes people like Kevin Sheveldayoff, the GM of Winnipeg Jets, and Bergevin, Bergevin, who is the GM of the Canadians. Just drafted Logan Mayu. So the fact that these people allegedly knew about the sexual assault and covered it up and did nothing to help their players, support their players, blamed their players, encouraged an environment that shamed this player for being a victim of sexual assault is absolutely disgusting. And so what do the Blackhawks do when they're making the 32nd pick overall? They roll out eight women as part of some kind of initiative to I don't know, promote women within the workplace and let them make the pick for them. And then, and and make a very clear, like Stan Bowman said something like, we're not a perfect organization, but we're trying kind of thing. Like a very clear, we are using these women as a PR shield for what we've done. It was the most transparent shield you've ever seen in your entire life. Good for those women getting hired, like in getting hired in hockey. Great. That's great. That doesn't yeah. excuse you from all the other stuff you've done. That does yeah. not give you, it, that is not, that is not a, that is not a, oh, we forgive you now. Yeah. I'm sure but, none of those women worked for the organization back in 2010. It is a shame that their accomplishments have been marginalized and basically used to shield Stan Bowman as he faces like unfathomable amounts of criticism from the hockey community and they make their pick and that closes out the draft. Yeah. And it's, I mean, way. it's just a really sour way to end the draft. And then just a few days later, I believe this was Sunday, uh, on the topic of uh, allegations of sexual assault, the Canucks decided to buy out the contract, the final year of Jake Vertanen's, Vertanen's deal. Contract. For those that don't know, uh, sorry for how grim this opening is, folks, but yeah, Jake, a Vertanen, very grim opening. Jake Vertanen uh, faces allegations of sexual assault dating back to a training camp back in 2017. Uh, he allegedly, uh, I mean, I don't, yeah, we I don't, don't have mean, to get into it. We don't have don't to get, get into, into it. it. It's more it up, just but, about there's, then there's, you know, there's apparent, uh, you know, it's, he's in he's court been, for it right now. It's not go. It's, you know, it's, it's what it been, is. Yeah, the the entire story broke in the most like ugly way. Someone had screenshotted a story from an Instagram group for uh, victims of sexual abuse. I believe it was Survivor Stories Instagram, something like yeah, that. We don't, yeah, but it's... it was a pri- it was a private account that had no right to be publicized, and it was. And after that, it kind of just kind of blew up, and it turned out there was an ongoing civil suit that uh, caused Jake Vertanen to be taken off the team in the midst of it. And here we are today where he is no longer a Vancouver Canuck. Uh, good, riddance, good riddance. So long as this civil suit is ongoing, he should have no place on an NHL team. Uh, that's just like the legal process. If the NHL wants to prove that it actually cares about uh, women 
if it cares about sexual assault, cares about the culture that it's trying to change, then they shouldn't let anyone, any single player in the midst of a civil suit for sexual assault, be allowed to sign with another team. Like, bar, like, bar none. Uh, that should be the simplest rule imaginable to in, or like to affect as soon as next year. I, I was so sorry to message you and let you know that apparently the Carolina hurricanes were interested in signing Jake for despite the current lawsuit that he's embroiled in. And I also mean, uh, a certain other player, a certain other named? player, Tony D'Angelo, not, nope. I mean, as far as we know, no allegations of sexual assault against him, but just reportedly like an awful not, teammate, racist, yeah. just terrible yeah. human being. This is a Hockey's, bad look for the storm surge team. Your, Hockey is <laughs> your second favorite. Yeah, not anymore. Not anymore. They are not, uh, yeah. Look, hockey has done. Look, there are some things that in the last year that I think that look. It, at least it seemed like hockey was making a conscious effort as a culture to better themselves and to improve. Uh, they just undid. They just took a shovel and undid all and just dug themselves into a hole they can't get out of again real quick. It only took about a weekend to do it. It's just sucks. It just all around sucks. It makes you. Yeah. It makes you not like the sport that you cover. Like it really does. It really does. I, I love hockey, and that's why we talk about. It, and both of us do. We both love hockey. That's why we talk about these things on the show because we want hockey. We love hockey enough so much that we want it to be better and we standard and hold it to as high a standard as we would anyone else. Um, yeah. This sucks. Stuff like this sucks, and I hate that we're starting this episode on such a. Uh, grim crappy way of yeah. you know talking but about it, just some of the worst things that possibly happened but this is necessary it needed to be it if we just swept said, it under the rug yeah it we, wouldn't we didn't want we didn't want to do the you know the the 31 thoughts thing and only de devote six minutes to something that needs to be talked about more and needs to be addressed uh so that's why we decided to not make it like a cold open or like close the show with like a little blip mentioning what happened over the weekend we wanted to open our show really get into just the awfulness that was the end of the draft and the context surrounding the Canucks and how it relates to them. But after all of this negativity, there was some actual Canucks news to get into. A lot. And a lot of Canucks news. Man, like a lot of news to get into. The Canucks came out of nowhere. They, you know, they buy over Tannen. You kind of got the feeling like, okay, they might have to buy out Holpe if they want things to, you know, clear up on their books. They at least have to move them. They have to move them. They got to do something. Then all of a sudden you start hearing all these rumors that like, you know, people want the Canucks to retain salary on Holpe's deal. They don't want to take the full freight and they're going to have to get the Canucks to pay to retain a bit. And suddenly it's like, oh, no, buyouts are back up, back on the menu, boys. And Braden Holpe gets bought out this morning after you know, a bunch of speculation that, you know, he might just be a Canuck again because they can't find a dance partner. And then that spurred some goalie mania, which I'm sure for you was wonderful because you're a goalie guy. I, I'm, I've heard. Yeah. And on top of the Holtby bio, we then got, who was it? Martin Jones bought out. We had Marc-Andre Fleury traded for an ECHL player. We got three a goalies lot. moved 
like instantly, like within an hour at like 9 a.m., all of a sudden it was just like, okay, there's the standstill in the market for UFA or pending UFA goalies or expiring goalies. And once again, the Canucks are a trendsetter. May not be for the entire league, but they set it for a few teams. And uh, man, it sucks to see Holtby go because he's such a cool dude. He's yeah. got his turtles, brings some state like to Canada. I mean, here. <laughs> Wasn't his turtles getting stopped at the border like an omen of what was to come? Ah, uh, maybe a little bit. Now in hindsight, yeah, probably. Yeah, pretty, I thought pretty it was, clear. I, I thought it was nice. I thought it was a cool, a cute little story. Uh, it was very cute. It was like, oh, he just cares about his turtles. Yeah, <laughs> like, and especially because it's like you're a cat. You have cats. I have, cats. I have a cup. My family. We've always had only like really dogs. And someone's like, here's our, we're worried about getting our pet turtles, our tortoises. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I should say tor- tor- tortoises because they're Tortai? land creatures. No, turtles are only, are, are mostly water creatures. Tortoises are land. Uh, I learned that from the Holtby, the whole Holtby turtle thing. Um, I did not, I had not known that before. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like you go from like this all, I mean, this, this, the last today, just literally in the last 24 hours, not even, if even that has been basically watching the Canucks just take a big old undo button to everything that yeah. happened last offseason. We had a couple, like, we had, after Two last offseason, we had Brain Holtby, we had Nate Schmidt, and now they are both gone. They are both very gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's it's kind of well, yeah, because the 2020 offseason was, oh, my God, they might lose every single UFA that they have. They might lose Tanev, Rob Stetcher, Williams, Twig, Markstrom, Twig will live forever in infamy. They're yeah. not going to lose all of them, are they? They can't lose and all of them, all, right? They lose they all four. They extend or they qualifying offer Godet and Vertanen and then let everyone else go. They signed Schmidt or sorry, they they had Schmidt fall in their lap. I don't want to say they went out and got Schmidt because Schmidt fell in their lap. We've talked about this on this show before. Vegas said do you want Schmidt at his full cap hit and maybe for like a third rounder two years from now? And the Canucks said, well, sure. And landed on their lap without that deal. That 2020 off season is a complete shit show. It, it is even worse now in hindsight, but it salvaged what was just a complete train wreck in terms of asset management. Now here we are not even a year later, this is 10 months later where the two guys that were signed Schmidt and Jake both bought out. And then Schmidt, the one piece that stood to be the savior of their 2020 off season, he wanted out and you know how badly he wanted out. He had a 10 team, no trade clause and he waived it to get out. And where did he go? He went to fucking Winnipeg. For his entire deal for the next four years. That's how bad he wanted out. He waived his NTC just to get out of Dodge and start fresh. He didn't even want to see what the team was going to do with Connor Garland or Oliver Ekman Larson or whatever. He just said, get me out. So the saving grace is gone. The Canucks have hit control Z and decided to basically kick the can down the road a bit and start again they are redoing their 2020 offseason 
And what they have all- right now is bigger cap commitments to Connor Garland and Oliver Ekman Larson for the next five to six years. And they now need two defensemen, a bottom six center and winger. They need a backup goalie. But at the very least, this Schmidt trade opens up considerable cap for them to actually do that. Before you were looking at $20 $20 million to re-sign the RFAs that include Elias Patterson, Quinn Hughes, Jason Dickinson, and then, you know, a bunch of AHL guys that don't really matter. Oh, and Garland. That's right. a pretty tall task. With $6 million back on the books because Schmidt is gone, now they're they're cooking a bit. They can now probably comfortably sign Pedersen and Hughes at whatever they want and still have way like enough left over to accomplish what they need to. It's just about the optics of signing those bottom six centers and wingers and the backup goaltender to deals where you're thinking, okay, they they made efficient use of their money. Mm-hmm. If they sign a backup goaltender to a dollar total that just amounts to the same amount as Braden Holtby well, would be making this year, then it's like that's a clear error. That's what have you error. done? Yeah. Um, if you've re-signed a contract equivalent to Roussel and Beagle, then you've gone nowhere again, and you've basically just like given up a bunch of first-round picks and whatever to kick the can down the road, which they kind of have. But if you're efficient with your money that you've just freed up right now, then at least you can understand and feel a little bit more confident that at least next year they have an idea of the direction they're going. So let's break this down. Let's break this down in pieces here. First things first, the Connor Garland signing hit the news waves first. So they signed him to a five year, $24.75 million contract. It's a $4.95 million per year for five years. And probably the, the most impressive thing. And like the sign that maybe Jim has decided to start learning on the job after seven years. He didn't include trade protection. There's no, no movement clause. There's no, no trade clause. He is tradable, easy to move, a good score, a good rate score. And it's a pretty decent cap hit for a 25 year old. Who's scored at like a top line rate for the last two seasons. So your thoughts on the deal and Connor Garland's, no move protection or sorry, no, no move protection. So with Connor Garland's uh, deal, I think it's actually a pretty safe deal. Like overall it, it fits like five years is a bit, you know, you're, I am worried a little bit, just a little bit about the fact that this is a guy you traded for. You have not yet. You've yet to see him play in a Kanaki uniform. There's a little bit of a, of a fear on that per se to a certain extent, but like, for what they paid for it, like, I'm not going to worry about that too much. Like, Fair. you know, 4.95 million AAV is very manageable for the most part. The fact that, yeah, you mentioned he had no, there's no, no move clause. There's no, no trade clause. That's good. That means if you can, that means it, and it's not a contract that is so like, so hefty that it's unmovable. Like it's not yeah. an unmovable contract. Uh, yeah. if, if things don't work out the way that you hope them they will, yeah. uh, honest, it's a it, it it works. It definitely shores up your top your top six uh, with some decent scoring. Uh, there's there's a lot to like about this contract overall. I think um, 
I, I don't know how you feel like in terms of like, do you worry at all that like, just because he hasn't played, do you worry that this ends up like uh, being a big problem or is like, I just thought I'd pose the question. Like it's more devil's advocate. Cause yeah, I don't feel like it will, but I don't know. Maybe you think different. I don't know for sure. Well, I, ha I, I paused for concern a little bit when I'd heard some folks on the radio saying, you know, Carlin or Connor Garland's like great around the net. He's great in the greasy goals area. And I'm like, the Canucks have been touting how good they are at, you know, you know, scoring greasy goals since like Erickson was signed and Verbata was signed. And right. how many times did those guys have successful seasons as greasy goal guys? Right. Verbata had one and then it fell off. Erickson right. never worked as the greasy goal guy, even though that was his bread and butter for his like entire career. Yeah. So when I hear and stuff I'll like that, I'm like, oh no, have they just committed $5 million to a guy whose specialty is something that the Canucks aren't exactly adept at executing in their strategies? Greasy goals are important. Like, they there's are. no doubt I about agree. that. Like, there's a huge. Like not every goal can ever be is going to be an absolute highlight reel, amazing snipe from like the from the 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 circles, right? Like right. Elias Pettersson isn't going to do that every single time, and that's not why he's a successful scorer. Yes, he scores some very nice goals, but he's also very good at going to the net and getting the garbage goal every now and then. Yeah. Like every good hockey player can get the garbage goal is not going to always just score something magnificent. So you do need players that maybe they never do score that highlight reel part, but they never get the highlight reel uh, plays, but they'll be a consistent regular guy who chips in, who chips in offensively all the time, no matter what, when you need them, they're dependable. Yeah. Um, it seems like Garland is that type of guy. I mean, the, the coyotes are a team that have been starved for offense for a long time. Their whole thing has been the fact that they don't win a lot of games by, you know, blowing you out by, by any stretch. A lot of their games are very close. They're very low scoring. Mm -hmm. They're tight defensive games. Um, Garland seems to be able to play in those types of games and be able to come out of it with 40 points a year, which is, yeah. Difficult. Like that's, that's a difficult thing to do. So you bring them to a team that is a little bit more structured for the type of, for a type of uh, more offensive firepower. He might end up doing better than that. He might, or worst case scenario, he might do the same. Like, it seems like this seem this seems like a pretty safe bet in terms of what he is capable of and what he brings to the table. But yes, there is a little worry that maybe, you know, yeah. do they, or, did they, uh, are they bringing in a guy again uh, to do something that he was not designed yeah. to do? I mean, it seems like or that's changing, not the case Or here. changing what he was good at, right? Like the Sam to, Gagne to something thing, else. right? Right. Where they thought right. they said, this guy can score, you know, 40 points in the season and he's a fourth line center. That's what he must be able to do is play matchup roles. And it was like, no, he plays he like 13 minutes a night and he, sits on power play one because he's like an expert power play guy. Right. And they didn't sign him for that. They instead signed him because they're like, he can be our matchup guy <laughs> right. without doing any homework. They've and done that many times before, especially on defense with like Erica Branson. They like, do that a lot. That's with the one I always pick out. Yeah. They, when they traded for Oliver Ekman Larson, our former editor, Daniel Wagner of past Debulis had retweeted that quote from Jim Benning, where he said, I don't know why Oliver Ekman Larson's plus minus has been so rough the past couple of years. And to a lot of people, that's just like, Oh, plus minus is stupid. Who cares? And they're right. Plus minus is stupid. Who cares? But the context of the, the quote is 
He doesn't know why the defenseman he just acquired, who cost $7.06 million for six years, he doesn't know why he's been bad the last couple of years. When you're trading for a giant contract, wouldn't you want to know why they've been bad? And if it's something you can fix, why would you agree to something? Like, you don't buy a car without test driving it. Or right. doing your due diligence and figuring out like the consumer reports. You look that shit up, man. You can't yeah. just like invest in a lemon and then be like, oh darn, the lemon's bad. I can't believe this happened. Who knew? Hey, this thing's broken. Why didn't yes. anyone tell me it's broken? It's like, yes, we did. You were due diligence is one of the things that's always been kind of like lost on this team when it comes to defensemen and like the Eric Goodbranson thing, I'm sure they said or Florida said, yeah, he's a tough guy. He's great locker room, really handsome, big body. Really and, handsome. Uh, you're going to love him. And then that's all they heard. And we're like, oh, great. Like yeah. they didn't really do any thinking like, Hey, what is, what's he like against like elite competition? Is he good at scoring? Like just no yeah. due diligence done whatsoever. So when it comes to the Garland and Oliver Ekman Larson thing, where, the Arizona Coyote system may have benefited Garland because, you know, they're always those tight games. They encourage him to, you know, go, go around the net, battle really hard, go for the rebounds and stuff like that. That's kind of always been other players things on the Canucks. So he might not have the same kind of role. So he might not be scoring at the same rates as he other did. So he's going to have to find a way to adapt his game. That's a bit mm -hmm. tougher to do when you're a 25 year old forward. Who's only been in the league for like two years like barely as like 200 games at this point. And for that reason, I'm like, this deal might work out or shake out in a way where Connor Garland regresses and doesn't play up to his 4.95 price tag. But Oliver Ekman Larson does because instead of playing this kind of like chippy kind of close tight game where you're, you know, kind of just like banking on the one goal win he might actually thrive in this scenario with a Travis Green system that's kind of like, ah, oh, we're just going to score as many goals as possible. Don't worry about the defense. We don't ask Tyler Myers to do it. We don't ask Quinn Hughes to do it. We just ask you to score as much from the blue line as possible. If you can replace the point shots from the blue line that Edler offered, that's all we need you to do. And he might mm -hmm. thrive because of it. So there's obviously tons of inherent risk in the, in the deal in general. But I don't know, just the hunch I have is that Ekman Larson is actually going to do pretty good in his first year and Garland is probably going to struggle a bit, but I, I it'll be like inverse where Ekman Larson over time kind of declines further, oh, I see. but Garland think... will figure it out and become better as the deal ages. I think that's, that's I possible. Think. I think that's possible. I think with Garland though, one thing we're not factoring in is the fact that he's probably going to get a shot with Bo Horvat right out of the gate. And I think that will be good. Right. Bo Horvat's thing that I've always loved about the way that he plays and the way he is as, as a, as a, as a forward is that he is generally like, maybe he's not the flashiest guy on the ice like ever, but he's very good at getting the most out of the the wingers he gets. And sometimes that's not a lot just because of some of the wingers. A lot of the time, the wingers have been a little bit suspect. They haven't always been 
the best. They haven't, he hasn't always been gotten the benefit of say like what Pedersen does, where Pedersen always is going to get the first line wingers on his, on his side at all times. Yeah. Horvat sometimes has often gotten a lot of times has gotten stuck with kind of the, this is the placeholder. Sorry. We're going to find someone for you later. Please, please be patient and kind. Um, and they, it seemed a couple times like they found him, like they found Pearson, who, which yeah. was good success for quite a bit of time. Uh, they found Toffoli, who worked out in the short term that he was there. Um, last year, they found Hoglander, who ended up being a great fit along yeah. along Horvat's wing. Um, and you hope that's going to continue into the future. I do think that from the looks of things, looking at the Canucks' top nine right now and looking at who the projected like line matchups are going to be, Horvat playing with Hoglander and Garland, and Garland getting a chance to play with those two, that might actually be a pretty solid fit. They do kind of have, they each have different elements to their game that I think complement each other pretty well. Like I think like Hoaglander is a pretty, a guy who has no problem getting into the dirty areas, going, going for the puck and fishing it out. Like mm. that's, that's what they kind of comp- have throughout their lineup now. Right. Like I, I know a lot of people kind of say like, Oh, all the people complaining about like the cap and the long-term like outlook for the team. Like they're just whining and complaining. And it's like, I don't think any person is saying the team hasn't drastically improved. Oh yeah. By all means, they're much better now than they were a couple days ago. Like like Ekman Larson is going to be an improvement on Alex Edler, regardless of how it shakes out. He can, I mean, his skating might not be great, but did they watch Alex Edler last season in the short term? Ekman yes. Larson's a huge upgrade on Edler. He's going to provide you tons of minutes. And Garland, he's going to be infinitely better than Jake Vertanen or Zach McEwen or any of the other God, guys. Any of the other Jimmy VC, Travis Boyd, uh, who's yeah. going to get the open market. Mark Michaelis. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's going to be an improved roster next year. I think they're top nine. If Pod Colson is everything as advertised and is immediately an impactful NHL player next season. I'm not banking on it, but if he is, then their forward group is like, honestly, legit top of the league because a very good group. Yeah. They're going to have so many guys on that forward group that just like battle hard. And that's like kind of, you can, like we've said for how long, like what is the identity of the team kind of seems to be missing here. And then you see like the acquisitions of Connor Garland and Jason Dickinson. You're like, Oh, I kind of get it They're ah. They want, they want battlers. They want guys that are going to be battling along the boards, going for pucks. They're not going to be like, you know, the Nikolai Goldobins or whatever of the world. Who's yeah. Remember like, Patterson, Patterson's first line mates in his first ever regular season game were Louis Erickson and Nikolai Goldobin. Now you're going to tell me that you're going to now put Colson. If he comes in for his first NHL game in theory, his mm-hmm. line mates are going to be Jason Dickinson and Tanner yeah. Pearson. That's a capable, a great, like two capable that's a, veterans to st- that's a, steward him along. That's that's a damn good line. Like it's not yeah. a killer. Like it's not going to yeah. be world ending, but it's right. a damn, but if that's your third it's line, pretty good. That's, that's better than most. That's better than yeah. most will have at least out of the gate, especially in the Pacific division. There's yeah. not a lot of teams that are going to be able to match that on their own third lines. There are some teams mm-hmm. like Vegas that can do it. Not a lot of them out there though. You're going to have yeah. a hard time line matching to a put Colson, Dickinson, Pearson line. That's a good group. And that's I think a that's good a, group to usher That's a really good in. matchup line, right? Like that's a good, yeah. like it might not score a whole bunch, but like Dickinson, like, you know, doesn't score that much in general, but like, I mean, 
that's a that's a high work rate line, and that's something you want to see in this yeah. lineup. And, and he'll get his power play opportunities, which is going to be huge. Like having, they might actually have a power play too that's a little formidable this time around, just with I mean, some of the guys that they have at compared their disposal. to last year, right? Compared to last, compared to last year. Well, you know what? Like you want to talk about individual improvements and how the team looks better now than it did a couple days ago. That's a good one. Like the power play, the second power play unit suddenly looks much better. Like you're going to have, and that, and that's not nothing. People will think that that's kind of like a, yeah, but like, you know, that's a, that's a small victory, but Hey, remember last year, the Canucks had games where like every time the power, the second power play unit stepped out, you're like, okay, well, they're going to kill a minute or two. And that's it. Like you were just like, well, we're not going to get scored on for the next 40 seconds. And that was the best you could hope for. Now you're actually looking at a situation where maybe you don't have to sit uh, the power PP one out for a minute and 30 yeah, and hope, a minute and 40 the, and then, and then send the second out to just kill time. And maybe you're Travis actually looking Boyd at a, out. yeah, maybe you're actually looking at a scenario where your second power play unit could actually ju do just as much damage in their own right. Like yeah. that's, and that's, that's, that, that goes a long way. That goes a long way to winning games. Yeah, so that, that I takes do off like a lot what, of pressure on power play unit one. Yeah, and then sometimes huge. that was the that might have been the problem in some cases. It's just like that yeah. fact of if we don't Trying score to do too much, like like not that they're saying this necessarily, but like just in that mindset of you know you have to score because power play two is just going to be out there to kind of kill some time. That's a lot of pressure to put on a group, and I think sometimes, like especially with power play one, my biggest concern with them was always that they definitely looked like worried like they were like they looked a little bit concerned about what would happen if things went wrong on that unit a lot of time there was a lot yeah. of uh like gripping the stick a little too tightly passing the puck way too much not enough getting shots on net and just trying to get something going there was a little mm -hmm. bit of tentativeness in the way that they approached it now you're looking at a situation where maybe you're not so tentative maybe you do don't mind taking the risk as a as that first power play because you know that power play two is going to come in and be able to give you just as much damage yeah um, so on top of the Garland signing, the Canucks, of course, bought out Holpe, which spurred like all the chaos. There's rumors that apparently Yaroslav Halak is being tied to the Canucks as a potential backup option. I thought like you couldn't negotiate during this time with like pending UFAs. So it'd be you, tampering, wouldn't it? They've changed, they've changed the rules. Remember in the last few years. So now, oh, uh, okay. the first, the last, I believe it's the net, the, the two days before free agency might be three. Uh, you are allowed to speak to pending UFAs as a team, mm. just to kind of, that was kind of the rules. Like, okay, three days before you're allowed to, I believe, talk to the pending UFAs. And that's why a lot of contracts are pretty much done. The second, uh, the second that that 12, that 12 deadline comes up and they're ready to, they're ready to like, put ink gotcha. to paper yeah so gotcha. the thing with holtby like this is this is the thing first of all yeah we already kind of mentioned it we're like i'm a little sad that he's leaving i think he clearly underperformed based on the contract they signed him to that's undeniable yeah. <laughs> that's undeniable like he had his like a and he had a lot of lows. money coming to him in this year so yeah he had a lot of money there was a lot of money they couldn't move him um from what the looks of things um buying him out like just looking at the buyout clause yes there's a like uh it's only five hundred thousand this year that they owe him next year on the or at least on the cap hit anyway yeah. um next year it's going to be 1.9 so that's going to be a little bit tougher uh yeah. that's gonna be a little like that's yeah that's gonna be a little bit tougher to manage but even then like as far as i'm concerned that's still okay like that's yeah, not the, that's not complete that's not a killer like there the are buyout, you can work with that you can work the buyout that. amount still is less than the luongo recapture penalty but it's close mm -hmm. enough where you're like you 
you've mm. essentially just kind of pushed the pushed it a little bit. another you year, which is yeah. kind of lame. You had Vertanen's in there as well, and it's yeah. 550. Like, that's next year. It'll be two. So next this year, it's only 550000 that they owe in dead cap. Yeah. Next year, it'll be $2.4 which is, again, not great, but manageable. You can work around that. The the thing that kind of the interesting part of it that comes up with this is just the question of, you know, is it was it worth it for them to buy him out and move that contract along? Would it have made more sense to just kind of stick it out for one more year as the one B? I'm going to say like and I'm the one posing this question at the end of the day, but I'm going to say that this was probably the right call. Like, I mean, it was time like Hopi didn't want to be here again. Um, from what we can tell, uh, it did not work well for him this season. It looked like he was yeah. making strides at the end of the season, which is kind of tough because it, it definitely looked like he was getting better as he went. Um, but it just wasn't enough to keep him around. He clearly was ready for a change of scenery already. Um, it, and there was just no takers on the cap hit that he was at. So I get that. So I understand. So I think moving on and trying to find somebody new is probably in the right is probably the right thing, especially because right now what you need more than anything for Thatcher Demko, considering he is fully signed, ready to go for the next five years, is you need a guy who can reliably come in and take 30 plus games from him and give yeah. your goal and give Demko the night off when he needs it, which is going to be often. You can't, again, we've I've said it a thousand times on the show. You can't have a goaltender play playing 65 plus games anymore. You just can't. You will kill them before the playoffs start. It's not a good, it's not a great way to send your goaltender in. You're going to send him in cooks before a puck is even dropped in the postseason. You need a guy who can take at least 30 games a year and give your goalie a rest. Yaro Halak, if he's the rumored guy that's coming, is perfect at that. That's what he did for the last so many years in Boston behind Tuka Rask. Tuka Rask was guaranteed the number one guy, like undeniably number one goalie. Uh, all they needed Halak for was to come in and give them reliable goaltending on the nights that they needed to give Rack Rask a an extra an extra time or a breather, mm. and he did it. He got a he had some. I believe his numbers were incredible. He had really good. Num- he's had really he good numbers in Boston in general. Yeah, it's it, just obviously like a, a situation of like what kind of caps hit do you think a guy with numbers as good as he's got in Boston over the last few years is going to command coming to the West coast to play for Vancouver because with Braden Holby's buyout, like you don't want to spend the exact same amount that his buyout cost on another backup goaltender, because then it's like, well, why didn't you just ride it out? Yeah, You might as well have just taken the risk and and gone another year with Holby. So that's that's the only question we we would obviously have at the crease cast is like what kind of deal or what kind of cost is a halak gonna command because yeah. it doesn't make sense if it's anything higher than like one point seven five mil. Yeah. It um, really doesn't. <laughs> one point seven. Yeah, I think I think like I can see like I think his again, current salary right now is two point two five. So it'd be yeah, like a huge pay decrease. I mean, this is now, this is a guy who is, you know, he's, I believe he's 36. So he's, you know, he's not a young, he's, he's an older guy. Uh, mm-hmm. So you might be able to get him on a cheaper deal just based on that. Um, you can get him I on was, a, you can get him on, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. You can get him on a 35 year old plus contract and you can load it up with signing bonuses because mm-hmm. signing bonuses on contracts for 35 year old plus, uh, I believe you can bump them by a year. So if you're like, hey, Halak, we're going to sign you to a league minimum deal. 
uh, for salary wise, but there's a million five in signing bonuses, then you can spread it out or delay it by a year in case he, you know, hits whatever signing bonus minimum it is. I mean, yeah, yeah, just looking at his contract history, I mean, he's taken last year, the contract before he took with Boston, like the first one he took with Boston was 2.75 million. It dropped to 2.25 last year for the one season. I could see a scenario where maybe you give him like two years and it's like eh, close to maybe like that 1.5. And, you know, maybe I'm biased just because, again, I'm a goaltender. I'm going to give goalies the... The, I'm gonna I'm going to vote vouch for my goalie guys as much as I can, but at <laughs> the same time, when it comes to goal, you should be willing to pay a premium for good goaltending. Like you shouldn't you like if there's one place you don't want to necessarily nickel and dime, it's on goaltending depth. You kind because you need somebody who can take over and play a good amount of time. I I don't think he's going to get more than about two i don't think his cap hit is going to come in anywhere like under like close to like that two million range again but if he comes after if he comes and says you know he's only going to come for like say 1.5 or something or a little bit above that one million dollar range i can i can work with that like that's something you can work with because again you need you absolutely need serviceable goaltending it you can't you can't come in and with you cannot you cannot take a guess on who you're back on your backup. You can't take a, a risk on who your backup for Thatcher Demko is. It's gotta be someone it's, who you're guaranteed to get good goaltending out of. So you gotta, you gotta, sometimes you might have to pony up a little bit more, just a little bit more to get the better guy. Well, especially in this off season, when the team is committed so heavily to undoing their mistakes of last year, they basically said, we're not cheaping out. We're going, we're going back all to all in. So you yep. can't, you can't get to this step and be like, we're going to cheap out on the one B and hope it works out. They need like a stable vet that can actually provide them 30 games. They need to get right shot defensemen that are actually good, which is going to be the biggest task for this team to do this off season because their record with identifying defensemen is very poor. And of course the two best defensemen they've ever identified that, you know, one of them fell in their lap, but of the two best defensemen that they've ever had on their right side, Nate Schmidt and Troy Stetcher, guess what? They're both gone. <laughs> so, uh-oh. Yeah, you're in, you're in some trouble. So you got you to gotta find some replacements, and your Maybe. replacements got to be cheap. They got to be yes. some cheaper guys, which is, look, again, like, find, there are – Teams are finding success now, finding cheaper contracts and not going for the name brand. We say it all the time. Don't right. go name brand. You go for the unknown. You go for the cheaper you one. It's going to be cheaper and just as good. Right. He is just, he is going to be probably just as good and come at a much cheaper cost. Yeah. Um, like, you know, you move, you're moving on from Nate Schmidt and probably at the right time. Like, I mean, like, it wasn't clearly working. Like it clearly wasn't going to work in Vancouver. And now you're looking at a situation where maybe he's replaced with Luke Shen, possibly hey, coming back. Maybe who we love here in Vancouver. We Luke love Shen Luke was Shen. like, so in that year when Luke Shen was like, kind of made his resurgence, the uh, San Diego gulls. Um, what's the coach's name of the gulls of that Dallas year? Dallas Dallas Eakins. Yeah. Now Dallas Eakins, you know, had that rough year in Edmonton. Basically everyone was like his NHL career's toast. And then he comes out of nowhere and is like, I'm going to rehab Luke Shen's career. I'm going to do all these favors for him, get like a bunch of nice PR. 
He finally gets an opportunity with Vancouver. And what does he do? He parlays like 20 games, not even into a full on back to back cup run with Tampa Bay. And then he's like, I'm good. I think I can come back to Vancouver now if they'll let me. And of course, Vancouver's like, yeah, you guys had or Shen had really good chemistry with Quinn Hughes. Surprisingly, he looked really good, like surprisingly really good on a pair with Quinn Hughes. I mean, that's the Quinn Hughes effect in general, but like just the fact that like this guy who was like everyone been shitting on since he was drafted, like just had this like, like immediate chemistry with this kid that he'd like once met at a rink in Toronto when he was like seven, like (laughs) that's great. And so if he comes back, like that's awesome. Cause I think everyone in this market would be totally fine with it at any price. Like the, yeah. everyone, after, like, that, obviously. after that season, he debuted it or debuted debuted. I think everyone wanted Luke Shen to resign and everyone was mad yeah. that they couldn't get him to resign. So yeah. it's really funny that two years later, you know, Canucks fans are like, usually we don't want the older guy now that he's two years older, but Luke Shen's like universally like in yeah. Vancouver, like <laughs> everyone's Shen, for real. Let's go. Back. I got yeah, Shen like, fever. Hell yeah. We all got, Luke got Shen, Shen fever. fever. So that like, you know what it was and you know what it was with Luke Shen that I think is such that was a rare that's been a rarity especially in the Benning era he was one of the few like low frill guys that came in and actually did exactly came exactly as advertised yes like exactly I think I I don't remember who put it this way at the time but somebody like the somebody said at the time Luke Shen is what is to the Canucks what they thought Erica Branson was going to be. He is yeah. exactly that. He is hard-nosed, gritty guy, t- takes a bunch of hit, makes a bunch of hits, continue- and does a pretty decent job at not being a minus in his own end. Like, he's a decent shutdown defenseman for what he is costs and what his role is. Like, he's not going to take a lot of minutes, but he's also not going to be a huge... Like he's not going to be, you're not worried when he steps out there that there's going to end up, that a puck's going to end up in the net. He's pretty good about that. Now you're talking about him coming back two years later uh, after winning two cups. You're worried maybe, like they're, according to uh, Rick Dollywell and Donnie Dolly, like um, he's only, uh, the idea, potentially the contract, if this is happening, it's two years around, I think he said around 700K to 800K. Hey, if he wants to come for that, hell yes. All all aboard the all aboard the Luke Shen bandwagon. Like yeah. this like this is like this is exactly what you should the Canucks should have been looking for this whole time. Was guys like this where Luke Shen used to be, I guess, name brand to a certain extent. He was yeah. a, I believe a first round pick at the Leafs back in the day. And yes. he just didn't pan out for again, they they they, they drafted him size. based on and they they drafted him based on something that he was not capable of doing for them. Um, but now he's play, after years in the league, he's gotten to a point where now you know exactly what he brings, and he does something quite good. What he what mm-hmm. he is capable of doing is actually quite a huge asset. And being able to not like play low minute, play as your third pairing, and be a relatively re- a reliable third pairing defenseman is nice. Is great. You need that. You need yeah. that to win. And yeah, literally like people, like there was the whole situation. I think it was Kevin Epp, who I believe was Vertanen's agent, if I'm not mistaken, uh, maybe someone else's uh, on Donnie and Dolly. Yeah. Bummer is right. Talking about how the Vancouver media and the fan base is too negative, which is like, is we don't have time problem. to get into yeah. it. Like, no, no, we do. Like, I'm, okay. 
I'm going to okay. cut you off right now. You know what? I, Agents are going to do what they can to keep their clients happy. So I always take what they say, especially on media things with a grain of salt to a certain extent. Like they're, they're, they're always going to be out, out the best. Like they're, they're, they're the lawyers for their clients. So they're always going to say something, even if it's not inherently true. I, I have, I'm, I'm going to take what he says with a grain of salt on that one. I have zero time for agents, other media from different markets, anyone that says players don't like the markets or fan bases that are mean on Twitter. Because Which is also just not true. Like, all they ever talk about in season or postseason is how fucking mentally and physically strong hockey players are. That's They're right. You freaks of nature. That was a bad no one can ever beat them. They are the strongest. Yeah. You you will never meet an athlete as tough as hockey players. You cannot say that shit and then, and then be like, actually say somebody on a radio interview on Twitter that that my client Connor Garland didn't like Joey Joey shitbag 126 uh, criticizing um my 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 client's skating ability or whatever i have zero time for that get over it, okay a little bit so, yeah. Not that Carlo Connor Garland said that. That's not that he actually said that, but that's like that's like the that's completely, completely hypothetical, hypothetical agent meet or uh, out of market media criticizing yeah. Vancouver fans, and it's like, yeah, Canucks and fan also, base is is just like sorry, the Canucks fan base, like whether like you like Jim Benning or hate Jim Benning, you're on the side of I am so invested and intelligent when it comes to this team because I am invested. I care yeah. about this team's success. And sure, there's some guy who disagrees with my beliefs and how the team should be run, but we both know like the cap implications down the next eight years. We've both chosen to spend our time uh, spending, spend all our free time worrying about this. So yeah. that's that's and that's and that's not something. And again, we're not going to do the whole my fan base is better than your fan base sort of thing because that's pointless. No, but I have no not have but, no time for yeah. the argument that I, I the, do agree, that yeah. Canucks Twitter or Canucks fan base is the worst according to Elliot Friedman. It's that is really such not. a cross that's of the other shit. person. Yeah, it's not true. It's completely what it is is people don't like that we're informed and people don't yes. like that we actually know what we're talking about yes. sometimes. And I. Elliot that in the royal we i'm not just saying the two of us i'm saying in the royal we 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 are more the the vancouver fan base as a whole is more informed with what's going on with the team than other than other fan bases are and in some cases that's just based sometimes that's based on on geographics sometimes that's based on the fact that they're not the biggest team in their market that it just depends it entirely depends but if you're, but don't sit here and tell me that players are more interested in going to say like Arizona because it's quieter. They're not. Yeah. We, you and I, if they were, they would have won a cup by so, now. Like so that's that just note, how it goes. Like, Connor and I'm not Garland singling out Arizona. Said, Connor Garland literally said in his like availability to uh, with Sport and 650 that he loves how involved or in, or in engaged the Canucks fandom is, and that it's like wonderful to see how like critical they are. So, and hey, maybe that's just, you know, even if he, he's saying that just because he's new and coming in. Who cares? Who cares? If he said, if he's, and also he said, like, he doesn't care what people say, which is probably the overwhelming majority of hockey players where they're like, I don't care if yeah. you think I'm shit. I'm not. I'm an NHL player. Yeah, I am better right? than you. I am. Yeah. I am in the 1% of good $6 million hockey players dollars 
to suck there, ass in the NHL. If, Hockey players should have better things to do than yes. worry about what random Twitter guy, including us, says on Twitter. Like they they just should. They just should have better words. And I don't, yeah, and I don't buy that for any reason. Like there are yeah. guys who, like some guys who have stuck here for the majority of their careers and mm-hmm. have been huge parts of the team and had, you know, and and even sometimes been had a hard time and had a hard time on their way out of town, not necessarily because of the fan base, but sometimes based on the way management or ownership treated them. Like, and they'll still have great things to say about the fan base. Like Roberto Luongo has every reason to hate the Canucks fan base for some of the stuff that some people did on his way out the door and talked about how bad he was. And yet, does he mention them? No. He, yeah, whenever he mentions the Canucks, he's like, I love the fans and everything. I love being in Vancouver. They were fun he, because, and as anyone knows, Luongo's not a sugarcoater. He's a, he's going to tell it like it is. He's always yeah. been that kind of way. Yeah. He has no reason to, to worry about your feelings, but he says it like, I love the fans here. Yeah. So, you know, I don't buy that for a second so, that players don't want to come to Vancouver because of that, uh, well, because of note, that reason. On the note of the fan base, then uh, what is your temperature gauge? If Elias Patterson signs an offer sheet tomorrow. If like like in terms how do you of think like, the fans are going to react if Elias Pettersson signs an offer sheet to go somewhere else? Well, hopefully, hopefully. If, well, here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. I am sure if Elias Petter, like we don't know for sure if he's going to sign an offer sheet. The Canucks are apparently worried about it. Yes. Like they're worried enough about it that it's a thing that it's public. Uh, that it's possible. <laughs> yeah, it's public knowledge that they're worried. Um, they have just freed up a bunch of money off their books, so it's a lot big, less of a worry today than it was, say, yesterday. Uh, but, like, even if he does, like, let's say for all intents and purposes he does, there is no reason that they, A, there's no chance in hell that they don't match. That's a guarantee. I If the Canucks, I would be stunned to see the Canucks go, wow, that's too rich for my blood. Here you go. Like, even, yeah, like, they, they would could never. Give, they could straight up give a team could straight up give Elias Pettersson a max contract, paying him more than Connor McDavid, and the Canucks would would still probably not go. Oh well, we we're, we can't. We're, that's too much money for us. Uh, see you later. They're not going to do that. They're going to resign. They're going to just be like, well, we'll match it. Like they just will. Yeah. They just it'll just will happen. And the Schmidt trade, you know, the Schmidt trade makes that a lot easier too, right? Yeah, it makes like, it now that they have six million easier. available, like the threat Hell, it makes it much easier way less it makes it much easier that they'll just resign him right now and won't even have to worry about it yeah. like the, the it's just there are some te- i'm sure and hey look it's the same thing of like the joke that we had about ovechkin about the kraken asking about ovechkin if you're a team yeah. if you're a team that has cap space yeah you're gonna call and ask if yeah. Elias Pettersson wants an offer sheet you're gonna do your due diligence to ask mm-hmm. you'd be silly not to but I don't think it's gonna. I don't think even if even if he does sign, it's there are far worse players to overspend on than Elias Pettersson. He is a pretty. He's a guaranteed. He's pretty good. Generational center. You take him. You absolutely take him. Yeah. Uh, he is going to be much better than last year. Than his bad luck last year was indicated. Uh, you, you, they're just going to make it happen. I am not worried yeah. in the slightest. Even if he does sign an offer sheet, that that won't get matched immediately. Yeah. And. If that messes with their and like to an extent, like I said it before, this was obviously before the Schmidt trade as well. It's like, well, you know, if you were seriously worried about it, there were things you could have done to not worry about it. And that goes back to even last season and how you handled, you know, how you've handled a lot of different things in the way your cap space has gone over the last few years. If you were actually 
all that worried about it. Now they're in a position where it's not going to be as big a deal. They're probably going to, I think they'll probably just end up getting the contract done beforehand. Um, I saw people already panicking about him changing his profile picture on Instagram or Twitter. And I stuff. mean, that is, and it's like, that is and some thought, serious posturing from him to like freak everybody out. That rules. I'll say that's, that's good. That's smart negotiate negotiating really yeah. like in the sense of like, Hey, yeah, I don't have I'm to be married to this team. I'm going yeah. to put on my summer, a picture of me on my summer vacation. And I think he's in Greece or something, or at yeah. least he was. In me, go like, in me Yeah. I, I want to go to Greece. Greece looks nice. Uh, I've heard good things. Um, yeah. Like that's, that's good. That's smart negotiating in the sense of like, Hey, I'm not, if you're not going to give me what I want, I, I could go other places. It's not, it's not out of my hands to go there. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, but I don't, at the end of the day, I think they'll get it done. I think they'll absolutely yeah. get it done. And they same do thing have... goes for Hughes. I think Hughes will get, yeah. they'll get Hughes done as well. Like, again, you will be much, you would be silly to try and like bog it down to semantics with those two. You would be, if they, if you are, I think, I think this was Rick Dollywell saying this on a show today, even was like, if you're $500,000 off, you just give it to him. Yeah. Like you just give them the money yeah. that those are, these are the two players you don't just go. Well, you're not going to meet our demands. We're going to set a hard line in the sand right yeah. here and if that at like means... five hundred thousand dollars. And if you're doing that, you're being stupid. And you're and not. And if that means you have to throw, well. if you have to throw like McEwen on like waivers and you lose him, like oh well. Oh you no! You still signed Hughes. And, How will like, we ever replace that? As opposed yeah. to instead of Elias <laughs> Pedersen, yeah. right? Like, but yeah. On, if on you're if of... you're a couple, you just make it happen. They're going to make it happen. I'm not worried at all. Yeah, on top of Patterson, though, like they're they still need to flesh out like an entire roster. Like they still do need that like is said, the biggest that that problem. defense corpse. Like they they've already talked about how like right shot defenders are like really hard to find. Travis Hamonic is apparently like walking to free agency and testing the waters. There aren't that many available. It's going to be a feeding frenzy uh, tomorrow on the twenty eighth when like all these guys are loose. It, they might Luke end up Shen spending a lot of money. Luke Shen get Luke covers Shen. it slightly. Like that's a good, I would that's say a good third, third pair guy. I, I don't know if he's necessarily an upgrade on Hamannick. Like I, I would have to look at the numbers. Like no, I'm, he's I'm not saying, at all. No. Okay. Well, no. either way, like I would say maybe he'd be get, a perfectly get... fine third pair. And that's he'd be a great, good. like that's fine. In, like a good partner to like shepherd, like Rathbone along because Rathbone, yes. as we already said, he had no chemistry with Myers. So Stick him with Shen and then find a much better first pairing right shot defenseman to play and with. And you're gonna Hughes. have to, and you're probably gonna have to put OEL with Myers. So you have to have that lineup there. And yeah. So you're basically are looking right now, you're looking for someone specifically to play with Hughes. You need a player who can fit that. I know they were interested in Adam Larson for a bit. That was the talking point. I believe Larson is going well, sorry, Bluff. I we know this already. He went to the Kraken, he signed with the Kraken. Um, but like that's the kind of the mold that they're looking for is somebody who's not going to be like, you know, who's a sturdy stay at home defenseman that will compliment, you know, Quinn Hughes when he decides to jump up in the rush mm -hmm. uh, to try and make a, to try and make a scoring chance happen. So I don't know who's out there right now. Like I couldn't give you a name on somebody yeah, who might neither. be worth keeping an that eye on. That would be probably what that we do on our Friday show when we recap all of the, free agency moves that the Canucks make because like we said, they're, they're pretty much in tight to try and re-sign Jason Dickinson, Hughes and Pedersen, and then a bunch of AHL guys to flesh out the Abbotsford team. There was we a couple guys. 
We should talk uh, about Jason Dickinson. Like, what do you think he's signing for if we're getting him? Like, I don't know if we talked about this on the last show too much, just because it was kind of I think right in line with everything else. His last contract, he had a 1.5. You're probably you're probably looking you at it. two 2.5, maybe depending on how much term they give him. Like, it depends on what they view him as, right? Like, yeah, if they I think mean, he's worth like a three year deal, maybe you can squeeze the number down a bit. Yeah, he's only 26, so his upside yeah. is definitely still in front of him. You could theoretically give him a little, like, he, hopefully you're not just giving him the Beagle contract again, where it's like three years of $3 million. That's too much. Give yeah. him, they're better off in this case. This is a, this is a good case example of if you can bring the number down and get more term to, by giving more term, you, that's the way to look. You got to try and go, okay, we're going to give you say, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe close to like two to make no more than maybe like a, two and a half 275 maybe at most and you go okay we're gonna but we'll bring it down but if you are willing to extend it out for longer we'll give you a little bit more money to kai and like you know to bring it down sort of thing or like give you more money in the short term kind of thing uh it's it's up to it's up to depending on what their camp is looking for i don't think they'll have too hard a time getting that negotiation done just as long as they prioritize Hughes and Pedersen first. Like you got to get that one done first. That's the yeah. main. Oh. <laughs> that's the that's the way they should be looking at this. And there's also, already been concerned that that's not. So I was going to say, hope. like, how many how many things have been put ahead of re-signing Pedersen Hughes so far? Like Tanner Pearson was prioritized first, and Thatcher Demko was, which makes sense. Like that one was fair. I'll give him a little wash on that one. Done that. Like the Pearson one especially did not. That need was to be the done. weird one. Like right. I would have been. Like as soon as as soon as the playoffs ended last year, I'd have been negotiating with their agents to try and get them on a new deal before they could have this season. Like, I mean, you needed yeah, that I mean, locked away, but they obviously I mean, had. In a way, basically. in a way, yeah, in a way, they almost like to a certain extent, just because of how tough Pedersen's year was, they might have. They might have done themselves slightly accidentally help just because he had a tougher <laughs> year to get less money for Pedersen. But even still, you should have done it first. It should be yeah. your prime concern rather than this. I'm sure they tried to get it done last year, but I think I think both of their agents knew at the time. Like, yeah, they're like, they're oh, gonna we'll probably bring that. This. They're gonna bring that number. There were probably the odds on them bringing that number up and getting a better contract if they waited a year was probably better. It's not like with yeah. say McDavid, for example. Like, I think McDavid's one of the few. McDavid and Matthews are two of like the few like high picks that have signed early just because they were going to get the max contract regardless. So it didn't really matter that they wait. It did. There was no point in waiting. They knew they were going to get whatever they wanted. So you just got it done for the, for the certainty of it all. Yeah. Uh, whereas with Pedersen and Hughes, there was still a potential chance that they were going to bring that number up with time. Um, yeah. I see where they went there, but now you're looking at a situation where, okay, you definitely need to make this your number one concern. If you're looking for free agents to fill your roster, specifically like big names and big fish out there again, then your priorities are in the wrong spot. I don't think we're going to have to worry about that this time. Hopefully, hopefully somebody has thrown Jim Benning's phone into False Creek by now. Like that's, <laughs> that's well, they're going to have, they are gonna have to hit. And you just chuck it out the window. It's not a far... It's not a far throw from the window at you probably hit it. The false creek. You could probably get it close to at least at least, at least skip outside the Concord Pacific present, pre- presentation center. You can get it there. You can give it a good chuck. Yeah. 
That's um, that's that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. Yeah, they are going to be relying pretty heavily on free agency. Walk all out of area numbers. That's what you. That's what they, you do. All out of area numbers. They are going to be relying heavily on free agency because they didn't qualify Jace Howerluck, Mark Michaelis, or a bunch of other guys. Brogan Rafferty and Jalen Chatfield are apparently moving on to free agency. So does they're any gonna... of that surprise you as somebody who's covered those guys for such a long period of time? Like, not at all. does J- any Jaylen... of this surprise you, or, or is any of this a huge miss? That Mark Michaelis, I figured they would have given a chance to play in Abbotsford just to see if he can actually be anything. He's older, yeah, I mean... but like, at least give him like a year in the league that he might actually succeed in. He was yeah. clearly not like NHL ready or capable, and but, but he had no to. choice because they would have had to put him on waivers to send him to the AHL. And I don't think they wanted to risk it for some reason at the time at yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, Brogan Rafferty, that one, I, I mean, that's frustrating because apparently Arizona was trying to trade for him last season or last off season. And they said no. Um, and then, yeah, they give him one game. He has a really rough first couple shifts and basically Everybody spends the entire there. season on the taxi squad. He plays a single game in a calendar year, he didn't really light the world on fire at either the return to play camp before they went to the playoff bubble last year, and he didn't really light the camp on fire at um, the this year's training this camp, year's yeah. training camp. So it's like I can kind of see where they're coming from, where they're like, we need this older prospect to really define and show himself that he can be an NHL player. And mm-hmm. I mean, we know how how much this team operates in small sample sizes. They make a lot of their draft decisions based on tournaments. They don't really go with large sample sizes. So it makes sense that one bad game kind of colored their perception of them. They've done it before. I think they did it with Philip Larson or whoever it was they traded for from Vegas. They gave them one game and then immediately flipped them to Texas or Dallas or something like that. Oh, it was I really remember quick. that. That was, uh, I, remember I don't that remember. Game. Oh no, that they was... flipped. They flipped Larson to Vegas for Brendan Leipzig after one game. I remember that, yeah. And so I can see, I understand why Brogan Rafferty and his agent would be like, we don't even want to talk to the Canucks after this fucking bullshit year. Oh, we boy. wasted our entire year playing a single game and practicing. And this is kind of what I was complaining about earlier this season, or not complaining about, but like criticizing was like, you know, Players do need to play. You can't just bench them the entire year. Like they do need games. All the practice time in the world doesn't really mean much if you're not actually utilizing it in games. And it's not like they were hurting far. It's not like they were. um, It's not like they had far too much defensive depth to make a spot for him. It was there. Yeah, the guy. The guy he was battling was Jalen Chaffield, and I would argue that their defensive prowess is pretty much equal. Except Brogan Rafferty has a scoring touch that. Chatfield does not. And, you know, Chatfield came in, he played, I'd say above his ability and above his ability meant that he got destroyed against Toronto when they played him and it yeah. kind of killed any opportunity or momentum he may have generated. He looked pretty good when he first started, but I mean, that's adrenaline pumping through him. It's his first couple NHL games and he played pretty well, like damn well for a debuting player at his age. You can find these guys in the OHL or WHL. You just got to be able to scout them. They don't really lose much by not re-signing Chatfield or Rafferty. It's just kind of the opportunity cost lost on Rafferty because they did have 
teams asking about him last offseason after his unreal production in the AHL because obviously it, the team or any competing team will see he only played one game. All they have to do is watch that one game, see his shifts and go, oh, I see why they benched him and didn't play him again. He's no good at the NHL level, so his value is completely shot. He'll probably get a shot in a California team somewhere on an AHL squad and do completely fine. Maybe he gets a shot in LA. Who knows? Yeah. But there's there's a lot of players in that kind of that category. Like that one that was that I think Mitch Elliott was part of that group as well. Him and uh, Josh Tevez, I think, is the last one. Tevez well was the other there. one. Tevez was Tevez. the other one, but he's he had great wheels, he, but he honestly wasn't a good yeah. player. Even at the AHL well, level, he's like still, he's still under awful. contract, is he not? Is he not under? No, his his deal's done. He's probably in UFA. Mm. But yes, yeah, because yeah, we actually UFA. But because I guess I don't know. He's yeah, the, I he's, don't know. He Rafferty really is care that he's moving on, so he's not like yeah. like Rafferty's story is out there because his agent was like, "Yeah, we're not talking to the Canucks." <laughs> Yeah, like and straight it up, like, it yeah. wasn't even like the like even if the Canucks wanted, they're like, nope, not interested. Yeah. It's like I, I, you get it to a certain point, like you get it yeah. to an extent, like it's time, like move on. You, I do. What I'm sure some people will get very concerned, will get very upset about it. Cause I know there were a lot of people who were really like, oh, this guy's an NHL defenseman someday. Like, had people were penciling him like in. That. I saw yeah, a which lot is of probably, comments saying, you know, it doesn't matter that Schmidt's gone because Rafferty and Chatfield are waiting in the wings. And I, it took a lot, mm, a lo- yeah. it took a lot in me to not reply and be like, did you watch them play? Yeah. These guys are not proven NHL caliber defenders who can, they're fine. Play They'll do in a pinch. They'll they're do in a pinch, but they're, they serviceable not, they're not regulars. They're not regulars. Yes. So from an That's... asset standpoint, it sucks that some of these guys die on the vine it's a I mean, really tough look because the team didn't do any acquisitions out of the NCAA at the end of this year. No, so they're going mean, to be kind of hard to. There was just they're going to be really out of them. Yeah, it's true, but they're going to be really up against it to round out their Abbotsford team because of it. That's I thought true. Mitch Elliott would have been fine to bring back because he's cheap as shit, and like, <laughs> at least on an AHL deal, like you're really not like no one's it's, after like no one's clamoring for Mitch Elliott. You now, can afford just, to bring him back. And good thing to remember, though, as well at the time uh, for anyone listening is just like just because they didn't qualify these guys doesn't mean they couldn't potentially still resign them. Like that's happened before. I think recently oh my God. they they I think recently they circled back on somebody. I am hoping you didn't just uh, stumble onto got, crazy news or something. I did. Uh, uh, oh dear. Yeah, we're gonna what, we're what? gonna actually close out the show with this because this is this oh god is wild. Oh, this has well, nothing to do with here. the Canucks. Oh well, but we're hold pretty on much here. Done. I wanted to. I did want to ask you beforehand, like before okay. you get to the crazy news. Sure. Okay. Don't look it up. Any, I want to see. Uh, okay. I want to see sure. your facial reaction. Okay. Sure. So you ask your question um, first. Sure. Uh, it's potentially possible that these guys that they did not qualify, they could still come back to and sign at a cheaper rate, just than what their qualification yes. number was. Is there anybody on this list of these guys? So Jace Howerluck, Mark Michaelis, Jake Keeley, Petrus Palmeo, Mitch Elliott. Is there any one of these players that you could see potentially it being beneficial for them to come back to without the qualification in place and possibly bringing back in a different sort of uh, in a different sort of deal? I think you could probably, like I said, I think you could probably bring back Mitch Elliott on an AHL contract. I think he showed enough in his underlying numbers that could prove that he'd be actually a pretty good power play guy and like a decent, like third pair, like specialty role, like kind of like the Gagne of defense 
where he doesn't really play, play a lot of minutes, but when he does, it's either on the PK power play or prescribed 5v5. That's fine, especially at the AHL level when they're getting paid like 70 grand a year only. That's fine. Yeah. Every other guy, Jake Kiley was one of their worst goaltenders. He does not have a good glove. His positioning is just atrocious. He would constantly throw himself five feet out of the crease and have to scramble back into the net to try and make a save. Just looked lost and swimming half the time. Mark Michaelis, I would like to see them try and sign him to like a two-way deal that gets him in the AHL for like a season. But yeah, I just don't know if I, I can tell like with the small sample size thing that they saw 15 games of Michaelis and were like, we've seen enough. We don't need him. We can get him anywhere if we want. That's like yeah. the type of mindset that they have, right? Yeah, How we're like one year. Howard Luck will probably get an opportunity somewhere else. He was see, how, yeah, Howard Luck is the one I want out of that group that I'm most interested in, just because he was as as far as NHL depth is concerned, he was pretty good for that specific role. Like, I don't, I wouldn't want to see him in 82 times a year. That's like that's when you run into that. If he's playing 82 games a year, that's a problem. But if you're bringing him in, say, as your 13th forward and your healthy scratch sometime, like as your healthy scratch and your just dependency if somebody goes down with an injury, I like Howard Luck. He filled the role. He worked hard every shift. He was a great, he was a great, his faces that he'd make in photos were quite funny and enjoyable because he, <laughs> and he, he put the effort in. Like the effort was clearly there and it was clicking for him by the end of the season. Like he was actually finding <sighs> decent success from a scoring standpoint to a degree. I wouldn't yeah. mind them keeping him somehow as like depth i wouldn't mind him as a 13 forward if he's in your healthy scratch section like that's not bad that's not a bad spot it's, to put him if you can get him it's better than zach McEwen, arguably who kind of played himself off the lineup i think he lost the bit. trust of travis green they didn't really know what to do with him he wasn't really offering much in general in terms of scoring or pretty much defensively so like it was kind of like a what do we do with him we can't lose him on waivers so he's just a guy howard yeah. at least kind of gave you a bit of both uh, I I would kind of want to bring him back because, like, why not? But at his age, I might be like, instead of spending the extra dough to get Howerluck in, why don't we test out Will Lockwood and see if he can be Howerluck for cheaper? And then yeah. if he is, then we sl- we bring him along slowly. His next contract is, you know, they do the Godette thing where they give him a one-year deal at a 10% increase, another one-year deal and a 10% increase, and then see what we do with him, or we flip mm-hmm. him for assets. Otherwise, what's the sense in re-signing a Howard Luck, who's proven, but you know what he is at this point, but it's going to cost you an extra $350,000 or $700,000 a year to, yeah. to get what you know, rather than cheap out and see what you can get. Gotcha. So, yeah, that makes that, sense. That's kind of my, where I'd be at with that. I, I have a feeling, like based on this lineup, like Will Lockwood actually fits in very well with the the construction of this team. Like I have like a feeling. Like you see him on like a fourth line kind of thing. I like can in that I can easily role. see him on a fourth line with like Tyler Bott and whoever it is designed to be the fourth line. That setter. would be the most cost effective thing to do. It would be cost effective. Probably, probably and a better lot than of energy. Get. That's yeah, a, that's gonna... a line that could score, and then it would have speed. Just those two alone is yeah. speed and scoring and tenacity, which is you do, you definitely what need would be great. 
you definitely need someone who's a little bit like uh, more defensively minded. If that's like the fourth line you're going to go with, you're definitely going to need somebody who's a little bit, who's a little bit of a uh, back, just a, the just in case group guy. But yeah, that's not a bad line at all. Like that looks decent yeah. for a fourth line. It's probably the most, it's not only the most, it's the most cost effective. It's the most, uh, it's the most, it's the best asset management wise, probably. Yeah. I don't yeah. mind that at all. I would like to see who they put on that, the wing with them, but yeah, that's a decent looking. I could, I could definitely get behind that as a decent looking at that forward core. It's just a matter of, can they get the defense sorted out and can they find the back and can they find the right backup for Demco? And that's what's going to be coming up in the yeah. next couple days here, the next week or so. On that note, we've pretty much covered all our bases of Canucks news. Uh, there was a lot. And by the time you finish or start listening to this episode, it's probably entirely out of date. But we've actually got some breaking news to close out our show because I want to see Lachlan's reaction to this. I'm hoping he didn't spoil it for himself while he lost okay. internet. Well, I, Elliot yeah, Friedman I, via Emily Kaplan, Brent Seabrook, his contract has been traded to Tampa Bay for Tyler Johnson in a second. Which... What? God damn it. Subletting teams get away with this. How do I don't they know keep, why. How, they, how does Tampa keep getting away with this? Tampa's this repeating, ridiculous. baby. That's the prediction right now. Tampa's Good repeating. Lord. Oh my God. Like they're going to have Seabrook on LTIR the whole time. Brent Seabrook, uh, winningest Blackhawks from that decade, from that era. Like Jesus. From that awful, not that awful we want. Era. Yeah. Not, not that, that we want. I was going to say, not that we want any good things for that group uh, right yeah. now. Uh, but like Very yeah funny. oh my god that uh, of course they did like uh, i am both stunned but also like of course they figured that out of course they made that happen that's yeah. exactly it was what... going to happen that's the thing everyone knew it was going to happen they were going to like all the talk after the playoffs was like this team's getting blown up it's not going to be the same and i was like so far they've fine. lost tyler they're gonna lose nobody and, and they're going to make it andre out. palat and that's it like that's that's it. That's really it. They they might still lose some more before like uh I don't know who their UFA what their UFA situation looks like but uh jeez they can't like nothing. They can't keep getting away with this. They can't keep getting away. Getting with, yeah. away with this. Jesus. Anyways, on that note folks, thank you so much for tuning into this actual Canucks news episode. We don't usually get those. Um, no. As always, you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Amazon, Stitcher, Overcast, and a bunch of other shit. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel where you can see our pretty faces and my tattered rags of a shirt that I <laughs> I, I wore this to work We're and getting... it's inside out, so that's very cool. Well done. We're getting him some real crease cast merch too. Eventually. We're gonna get yes. we're gonna uh, we're gonna change his wardrobe entirely. It's gonna be like yes. uh, that show, uh, Queer Eye. It's great. Queer Eye's yes. a great show. Um, please, if you if you're so kind rate like and subscribe to our channels give us five stars and you know leave us reviews we appreciate them we appreciate the comments very much and as always we have our patreon where we have one dollar and five dollar tiers subscribe to our content lachlan's always churning out con or written words on there all the time that's patreon.com slash creasecast as always i'm sure you're so tired of hearing me say this but i am cody sievertson you can follow me on twitter at cody sievertson you can also follow my website at cometsharvest.com. Bookmark it now before I change the name because it's probably going to be something Comet. really crappy and not clever, and you're going to lose it. So just just do it now. Mm -hmm. Lachlan, where can the fine folks find you? 
You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Lock in the Crease. And you can also find me on my writing stuff at lockinthecrease.com. I post articles from time to time. I'm sure I will have some sort of blog going tomorrow. Something, something just going over literally everything we've or we've covered here, plus whatever new news comes up uh, over the next free agency period. Cause man, there's gonna be it's gonna be a just an absolute mess for the next week yeah, or so. We're gonna like we thought like our notes for this episode were really scattered and trying to piece together like a narrative of how to discuss it all was going to be difficult. I have a feeling tomorrow is just going to be fucking nuts. It's going to be like even weirder. Like there was a lot of news dropping uh, immediately prior to day one of the draft. And it was just like bing, bang, boom, huge trade after huge trade after huge trade. And now we're going to get into the everyone scrambling for the seldom free agents that there are and prices are going to get fucking jacked through the roof. It's going to be, it's going to be pure wild. chaos. We're going to have your summary of free agency day and whatever the yes. think of doing over the next couple of days. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll catch you again Saturday afternoon when this, the Friday episode gets posted. Thanks for tuning in guys. Bye. Bye.